You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that am. Well, I do apologize for missing the last couple days. Uh, life just kind of happened, I guess. I think Friday I overslept, and then Saturday I, um, well, based on the oversleeping, it's my body saying you need sleep. So I did not set an alarm and, um, you know, got up, had kids sports, had uh, all kinds of life stuff to do. So I just, I did not have time to sneak it in. However, we did get to do a YouTube video. Um, that was a ton of fun, man. We're, we're really starting to do some fun stuff with that. And um, we kind of just sat after the video was done and talked for a long time, felt like half hour or more, just about the, the different things we're going to be able to do. And, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's almost, it's almost kind of frustrating that it's the off season because there's not as many opportunities, although uh, I don't even know if that's necessarily true. But it's it's good though. We we need the practice and um, but between that and this network uh, with all the different shows, it's actually probably a good thing because um, we've got several months to kind of hone our craft and and it's going to be a fun year, man. But if you haven't yet, head over to YouTube and subscribe to uh, Packernet Podcast. I'm also streaming on Twitter as well as on Facebook. Um, I think the I, I, Twitter doesn't work quite as well. I don't think you can comment. Um, I mean, obviously you can leave a comment on whatever you want, but I, I don't think we can see it on the stream. So you got to either be on Facebook or on YouTube for us to be able to see it so that you can interact or whatever. But if you don't care and just want to check it out and you only want to be on Twitter, then there you go. But otherwise, I would recommend um, YouTube and Facebook. And YouTube, I still think, is probably the best because you can set notifications. Uh, you could probably do it on Facebook too, but I don't know how well that'll work. But anyways, um, definitely would encourage you to do that. There almost wasn't an episode today, by the way. I'm actually kind of surprised. I, I was kind of bracing myself for um, three days in a row, which I can't even remember the last time I've done that. Sometimes I take a hard break, and it wasn't even really planned, but um, for the same reason, I decided I'm not going to set an alarm, and I'm going to leave it up to fate, and 5 o'clock, my eyes just snapped awake. I was like, all right, I guess we're doing it. If I'm if rested is rested, man. Let's do this. So that's that's what that is. Um, lots of stuff has taken place. Um the last couple days, we've had the um, rookie mini camps or mini camp or whatever it is. They're, they're hanging out doing some workouts and whatnot, but it's exciting because we've also got locker room access back, which is great. So we're getting some, um, some more ability to get to know these guys a little bit. We've got media that's in there watching the workouts. So we're getting a little bit of video on top of everything. So it's, it's, um, it's great because it, it I mean, again, it, it's helmets and shorts, so it's kind of hard to suck at this point. And there's not the starters there. You know, you don't have the best of the best of our team there. But one thing that is for sure is that the guys that we picked are standing out. <laughs> the boys out of Georgia, 
Christian Watson. I mean, these guys are there. And compared to, for example, the quarterback play, the guy's no match. But uh, we got guys signing contracts, which is always kind of funny because it's something that gets people hyped up, but it's also it's kind of weird, especially when people start panicking about guys not getting signed. You know, like they celebrate like the first guy gets signed and they panic about the last. Like, what, what do you think is going to happen here? Like, I'm, I'm celebrating it on Twitter just because I'm happy for the guy. It's, it's about I'm happy for this moment for him. You know, Devontae Wyatt, I think, was the first guy, the first first round pick to sign his contract, I believe. He signed a four-year, fully guaranteed $12.86 million deal. He got a $6.53 million signing bonus, which again, whether or not he's getting it today or tomorrow or in, in three months, I don't know exactly when he gets his check, but $6.53 million check. Just here you go. And I understand it may not actually physically be a check. It's probably just a depositor. I don't, I don't even know what you do with $6.53 million if you can just you know, direct deposit that into a bank, or I don't know how that works. I'm not, I'm not in that world. But regardless, he's just getting that money. And I'm, I'm just, it blows my mind a, a little bit because, you know, it's, it's on one hand, you're a rookie and you got to see if you can make it. And, you know, you're, you're new to this and you don't really know if you're going to be good at anything. And, uh, you know, this is just phase one. But at the other, on the other hand, very easily that you're, you're set for life. You know, m- most of these players, it's like, well, I got to get to that second contract or whatever. You really don't have to. I mean, if you, if you just take, and I understand the stock market has been garbage, but quite literally, you could take all of it, throw it in the market, draw down on it at half of what it's earning annually, and you're going to live very comfortably. And at the end of it, you're just going to, um, you're going to have a massive amount of money. Even at like a 6% return per year, in the first year, you're making like 400 grand. Take half of that, it's $200,000. I understand you want to be a multi billionaire, super rich Ferrari driving football player, but 200,000 is fine. You live in Green Bay, Wisconsin. You'll survive on $200,000. I mean, it, he's not going to do that. I'm just saying. I mean, you, you are 100,000% set for life. Not to mention, this isn't your last paycheck. I mean, this is just the first one. This is your signing bonus. This isn't your salary, your workout bonus, all the, all the rest of it. Remember, the, the rest of it is fully guaranteed. So yeah, I'd, I'd leave a million dollars out, put the rest in the market. Plus there's taxes and everything. I, I get it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't change the equation at all. The point is, I'm just, I'm just excited. But, but the, the consternation, the fear, oh no, why isn't he signed this? He's going to sign it, dude. Everybody signs it. It's, it's a rookie contract. And it's already figured out what the numbers are going to be. It's really just, I guess, structure. It's not a big deal. Speaking of, though, Quay Walker, $13.841 million, $7.246 million signing bonus. That's crazy, man. You also got little stuff like the return of the tennis balls, and it's Bisaccia that's bringing it back, so people are pretty riled up about that. But we got to pick a spot to start, and so I'm just going to start here. One of the things we talked about yesterday was, um, you know, what... What are reasonable expectations? Because every one of us on that stream kind of had a similar thought. And that is, there's a voice in the back of our heads that says, calm down. A good draft would be probably if like three of these guys worked out. You know, we had, we had a lot of picks, so let's call it three to four. And, and what worked out means is, is, I guess, could mean a lot of different things. I don't, it's not worth getting into, but let's just say four guys pan out is a good draft. But on the other hand, every single one of us is super excited about almost every single one of these picks. And so there's a lot of vacillation back and forth. And, and one of the things that um, I see Justice Mosqueda posted on Twitter was um, he did a search 
for wide receivers in their first year under, you know, during Aaron Rodgers' tenure. And if you look at it, it's not a very impressive list. Um, we'll just go through it. Brett Swain, Chris Harper, Reggie Begleton, and Jake Allen had zero yards in their first season. Uh, Darius Shepard had one yard, Kevin Dorsey four, Alan Lazard had seven. So of the bottom, what do we got? Three, six, seven guys, not even 10 yards. Out of 23, seven, which is about a third, didn't even have 10 yards. Guys that had over 10 and under 100, Jamon Moore, Jeff Janis, Trevor Davis, Jarrett Boykin, Michael Clark, Amari Rogers, Miles White, Malik Taylor. So only eight of 23 cracked 100 yards in their first season. Those guys were Jake Kumaro at 103, Jared Aberderis at 111, Geronimo Allison had 202, Equinemius St. Brown 328, Jordy Nelson 366, Randall Cobb 375, Devontae Adams 446, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling 581 yards in his first season. So the implication sort of being temper your expectation for year one players. Here is the one massive caveat though. Who was the highest on the depth chart? of this entire group of 23 guys. Well, I got that list pulled up myself, and I'm going to sort it by year, and let's take a look at it. 2021 was Amari Rogers. We had Devontae Adams, MVS, Alan Lazard, and Randall Cobb that were clearly ahead of him. He was on the third tier with Malik Taylor, so he was either wide receiver five or six. In fact, there's probably even a better way I could do this, at least for a few years. Based on... um, Based on his snap count, he was wide receiver seven. So he got 45 yards as wide receiver seven. 2020, uh, we have Malik Taylor and Reggie Begleton. That was wide receivers seven and eight. In 2019 was Darius Shepard's first year. He was uh, wide receiver seven with five snaps all season. 2018 is a really big list. You got MVS, Equinemius, Jake Kumaro, Jamon Moore, and Alan Lazard. MVS, who we saw was highest on this list, ended up being wide receiver two in, ter- in, ter- in terms of total snaps. So let me just pause here for a minute, because if you look at this list and say, who are the best wide receivers compared to who ranked the highest on the depth chart? And we'll continue on, but there seems to be a stronger correlation between where you rank on the depth chart compared to how good you are as a receiver. MVS is not as good of a receiver as Randall Cobb or Jordy Nelson or Devontae Adams. Right? I mean, you could debate about first years if you want. I don't think MVS was particularly good as a rookie or sophomore or junior or kind of ever. So, uh, you know, debate it if you want. But the fact of the matter is he was wide receiver two and ended up with over 500 yards. Equinemius was wide receiver four. Geronimo was wide receiver five. Kumaro was wide receiver six. Jamon was wide receiver seven. Uh, Lazard was wide receiver eight. It's actually kind of interesting in, in 2018, it's a, it's a very similar feel to what we have right now, where the vast majority of the wide receivers, in fact, pretty much everybody, are brand new to the team. Um, Devontae was wide receiver one who was around. Randall Cobb was wide receiver three at the time. Otherwise, everybody else was in their first year. Every other wide receiver that we had was brand new. Not surprisingly, that was a big breakout year for Devontae. I know it wasn't like year three when we generally think he had a big breakout. That was when he kind of went from, this guy's no good to, okay, this guy's pretty good. But his first like real big jump into being an elite wide receiver was 2018, when it was him and a bunch of, no offense to Randall, but a bunch of just no-name nobodies. I'm excluding Randall from that, from that group, by the way, but I'm just saying that, that is primarily what was left, because Randall was not a 
primary top target anymore at that point. Hence the reason he dropped to wide receiver three with a bunch of rookies. But 1,300 yards and 13 touchdowns for Devontae, who was the number one. And, and, and that's something else to consider is you could say, okay, so if, uh, let's say uh, Christian Watson ends up being wide receiver two. So we're talking about 500 yards, big deal. Not necessarily, because who's the guy that's going to get 1,386 yards and 13 touchdowns? Probably nobody. So wide receiver one is not Devontae anymore. So there's probably going to be less of a gap between one, two, and three, and, and four. It's going to be spread out much more. So yeah, you're not going to have that really top number one guy, but the number two and number three are also going to be much higher. So if MVS was number two with 500 and some odd yards, this year the number two guy, what, 700 maybe? Number one is 900? Possibly? I don't know. But the point is, we could have two, possibly three guys that are probably not, because if we assume Alan Lazard maybe is number one or two or three, presumably he's going to be somewhere in the top three, but we could, we could have two guys that break the record for most rookie yards under Aaron Rodgers, conceivably, for that reason alone. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not trying to overhype these guys and say that they're much better, or I'm just talking realistically, based on the information we have, We've never really been in this situation. Even if we look at 2018 and say it was similar because we had two guys, Devontae and Randall, and then a bunch of new guys, whereas now we have Lazard and Randall, and Sammy's not a rookie, but it's still his first year, but you mix him in it, into it. But again, we don't have a Devontae. We don't have a guy that, ran, that Aaron Rodgers can look at and say, I don't trust any of these guys, so I'm going to force feed Devontae like never before, which ended up being great for his career. We don't have that. So if he's going to force feed somebody, it's going to probably be a rookie, unless he just really, really wants to push Lazard into stardom or revive Randall's career or something. I don't know. But at least one of the guys on this roster, I think, is going to break MVS's, I guess we'll call it a record. I just, I just think realistically, mathematically, that makes the most sense. If Aaron Rodgers is going to throw for a lot of yards, those yards have to go somewhere. And if it's not going to be one guy at the top, then it's going to be spread out more. I don't know how you get to Aaron Rodgers' numbers with no rookies cracking 600 yards. It's going to be really hard to do. I mean, Rodgers at a minimum, let's see, what was a really low year for him in terms of yards? 4292 in 2015, 4,292 yards. Where the heck do all those yards go? We got a couple tight ends and running backs and everything else, but it's really hard to not have a single rookie over 600 yards. That's, that's my point. 2017, Michael Clark, we had uh, Devontae, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Jeff Janis, uh, Trevor Davis, and then Michael Clark. 2016 was Geronimo and Trevor Davis. We had Jordy, then Randall, then Devontae, then Geronimo as four, so that was relatively high, then Trevor Davis, and then it was Jeff Janis, Jared Aberderis. 2015 was Jared Aberderis's year. James Jones, Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams, Ty Montgomery, and then Jared Aberderis, who was, what, five? 2014 was another pretty big wide receiver year. Devontae Adams, Jeff Janis, and Kevin Dorsey. And in 2014, you had uh, Jordy number one, Randall number two, and then Devontae three. Then you had Jared Boykin, four. You had Jeff Janis with 15 snaps all the way down here, and then Kevin Dorsey with 12. 2013, Miles White, Chris Harper. I'm not, I'm not even going to look at it. These are guys that never really played. 2019, Jarrett Boykin, or not 2019, uh, number 19, 2012 was Jarrett Boykin, James Jones, Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jarrett Boykin. <laughs> Shame on that guy for not getting yards in his first year, huh? 
2011 was Randall Cobb. You had Greg Jennings, then Jordy Nelson, then Donald Driver, then James Jones, then Randall Cobb. And and again, this this is kind of the area that most people are looking at and saying, even look at the best of the best. They didn't have good years. I get that. Randall Cobb was one of our top receivers for a very long time. He was also a second-round pick, but he didn't have a great first year, right, because he was buried on the depth chart because we had a billion wide receivers. Jennings, Nelson, Driver, Jones were ahead of Randall Cobb. He was he was last on the depth chart at wide receiver. There, there was no wide receiver after Randall that got less snaps. Randall, Randall had 293 snaps as a rookie. Yeah, but what about uh, Jordy, right? Obviously, Jordy wasn't there to be ahead of Jordy, so he must have been a little higher on the depth chart. Well, 2009, Donald Driver, then Greg Jennings, then James Jones, then Jordy Nelson. And we're talking way down the list. You had Donald Driver with 926 snaps, Greg Jennings, 893, James Jones, 617, Jordy Nelson, 239. The most he played in a single game was week three. He had 33 snaps. But, I mean, he just, you know, he had two snaps against Detroit. He had uh, 13 against Detroit, 10 against Baltimore, 9 against Chicago. Then it was 15, 16, 18, 12. I mean, number one wide receivers get this many targets. (laughs) This is snaps on the field. Most targets he had was five against Dallas, four receptions, 32 yards. He had four against Pittsburgh. Otherwise, it's onesie-twosie. Zero against Detroit, one against Baltimore, one against Cincinnati, zero against Chicago, one against Seattle, Arizona, and then Arizona again. He just wasn't a big factor yet in his first year because he didn't. And, and that's the thing. It's it's not like, well, that's the point because he's a rookie. No, it's because we don't need him. We have Donald Driver. We have Greg Jennings. We have James Jones. And we have the luxury of bringing them along slowly. We don't have that luxury right now. Actually, I messed that up. That was his second year. I went down too far, but whatever. Point is, he was still buried on the depth chart. He actually had more snaps as a rookie than he did in his sophomore year. But... The point remains, I mean, he didn't really, uh, let's see, when did Jordy kind of start to break out here? I mean, the first time he graded well was in 2009, but his first time getting like big boy snaps, I guess was year three when he had 89 targets, went from 53 to 29 to 89. And then his first really highly graded year and 100 targets was 2011 year four. So point is, it's a different equation. I think the bigger question is how did they perform in their rookie years? And and with that is when you start to see, uh, of all these guys, I don't know that anybody really graded out well as a rookie. Jordy's first year wasn't great. Randall's first year wasn't great. We know Devontae's first couple years weren't great. I don't need to remind you about Amari. MVS, again, has never really had a good year as far as his grades. But again, we're talking about three guys that we've taken this early. If you're, if you're talking about Christian Watson, and the last time was 2014, so nearly a decade ago. And since then, and, and, and this is a very real thing, it's not like just a coincidence, it's a very real thing that wide receivers coming into the league are very, very ready to play. There was a video done by, uh, what's his name? He's over at the Draft Network. Maybe he's not anymore. I don't see him over here. He must have moved on to bigger and better things, I guess. Anyways, he, he made a video. He's sort of the uh, really smart guy of the group. No offense to the rest of the group. But the, the title of the, the video, if I'm not mistaken, was Why There Will Never Be Another Bad Wide Receiver Class. According to him, it'll just never happen again. And it really just goes to the evolution of what we're seeing in seven-on-seven football, things that they're doing in high school, in college. The wide receivers coming out are just much more pro-ready. There's such an emphasis on throwing the ball and passing the ball. And what you're also seeing, another, another interesting thing is, because of things like seven-on-seven, where... 
I mean, it's really just, it's like backyard football. I mean, everybody's either a quarterback or a wide receiver for the most part. But what you're seeing is people that back in the day ordinarily would be considered either tight ends or even running backs or other positions are coming into the league as wide receivers, right? That's why we're seeing such unusual body types, but guys that are still thriving. And so the, the point is not only are we seeing an, a, a, an increase in desire for wide receivers at the NFL level, but we're seeing better, better readiness. You know, I mean, guys that have been playing a lot of wide receiver that are very adept at it, that are very good at it, that are coming into the league and performing at a high level right away. I found it. He's over at the ringer now, I guess. Ben Solak. So I, I don't want to play his whole video because it's nine and a half minutes, but I do want to play this because I think it's important. Um, well, let, let's get started and I'll comment as we go along here because I, I think it's really interesting because, again, like when I started this whole thing, that there's a, a pull between me trying to temper expectations and me feeling like something bigger is going on here. And every time I try to temper up expectations, there's always something saying, no, 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 listen to me, you should be excited. Right, whether it's Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, I'm always trying to temper expectations, but I just can't for, for different reasons for each guy. But for the wide receivers, it's kind of similar, right? Okay, Christian Watson, small school guy, he's not going to be ready. Romeo Dobbs was drafted in the mid rounds for a reason. And then Samori Turi, come on, we've been down this road a million times, seventh round draft pick, et cetera, et cetera. But let's, let's go through this. And you know what? If we play the whole thing, we play the whole thing. But um, again, I'll, I'll interject when I can. I just think this is very, very good information, and that's what I'm trying to bring to you as information, so here we go. The 2022 wide receiver class is awesome. There are potential top 10 picks in Ohio State's Garrett Wilson and USC's Drake London. Arkansas's Traylon Burks and Ohio State's Chris Olave should also be first-round picks, and so should Alabama's Jameson Williams, even with a late-season injury. And after the first round, day two is still loaded. North Dakota State's Christian Watson, Boise State's Khalil Shakir, Penn State's Jahan Dotson, Purdue's David Bell, Georgia's George Pickens, Clemson's Justin Ross. You want me to keep going? I can keep going. Memphis has Calvin Austin III, Western Michigan has Sky Moore, Alabama's got another one, John Mechie III, there's Alec Pierce from Cincinnati, Jalen Tolbert, South Alabama, Wandale Robinson, Kentucky. This sounds great, right? But it also sounds familiar. We did this whole thing back in 2020, when Mel Kuyper said that as many as 30 receivers could go in the first three rounds, which was a totally nuts number. We actually ended up with 16 receivers in the first 100 picks. But that prediction came because the 2020 class was viewed as a historically good receiver class. But the very next year, in 2021, 15 receivers went in the first 100 picks. And the year before, in 2019, 13 receivers went in the first 100 picks. So I just want to interject here for one second. My first thought upon hearing all this is, so what? The fact that there's so much hype by the media about a position that they're obsessed with doesn't mean anything in terms of how good they're going to be, right? And also, quantity doesn't mean quality. The fact that you can list off names doesn't really mean anything. That's kind of where my head went initially. But um, let's continue on for a minute here. Beavers, folks, a lot of them get drafted. Over the last five drafts, no position has been drafted more. Now, there are plenty of reasons for that, and there are plenty of repercussions off of that, too. But the best way of summing it all up into one nifty take is this. There's never going to be a bad receiver class ever again. So anyways, the question is why, and that's what he's going to start talking about So, here. why will there never be a bad class of receivers again? Well, it starts with the pool of available talent. The best way to ensure that you'll never have a bad class of receivers is to have a lot of receivers to draft from. And the NFL does. They've got a lot of receivers, 
because college has got a lot of receivers. When ESPN's Bill Connolly wrote about why receivers are taking over the NFL draft last year, he highlighted how drastically college recruiting has swung towards wide receivers. The number of wideouts in ESPN's Top 150 for high school prospects increased by 22% from the early 2010s to the late 2010s, while running back prevalence dropped 10%. Some of those highly ranked receivers, like Ohio State's Garrett Wilson, potentially the first receiver off the board this year, has a body type that in the past may have been seen entering college then as a running back. So, obvious question, why are so many top recruits emerging at wide receiver? 7-on-7 football has a lot to do with that. 7-on-7 is a non-contact, passing-only brand of football that has grown popular at the high school level in the last 10-15 years. Played during the spring, 7-on-7 ball offers a massive proving ground and developmental ground for receivers, who get hundreds of reps without the risk of contact. Athletes from wing T and triple option high school offenses can send film of them playing 7-on-7 receiver to colleges and improve their chances of grabbing an offer. More high school athletes than ever before are catching more passes than ever before. And that makes her both a deep and talented recruiting pool of potential star receivers for college. So something, I, I just want to pause here for a second. I think one way to kind of look at this, he mentioned things like wing T and, and sort of these throwback old school run the ball type of, of uh, offenses that are run in some high schools. I think essentially what you're seeing is there are some people that would make great wide receivers that nobody would ever find. I mean, there's no question. There, there's, there's guys out there that could have been great football players that just never got discovered. Some of them because they just never set foot on a football field. Some of them are busy playing basketball or tennis or whatever else. But some of them are on college football fields just playing either the wrong position or playing the right position but just not getting enough exposure. And so you, you've got a couple different things going on here with the seven-on-seven, which, again, is a spring. Th so, so you can play college or, or high school football in this old school throwback kind of uh, kind of an offense and just be another guy on the field. But then if you've got this spring league of seven on seven where you're playing wide receiver, you've got additional tape. So if, if you're in an old school throwback offense and you play offensive guard and you're real good, you can get recruited out of that high school. But if you're a running back and you, so, so again, there's two different things. If, if you're built to be a wide receiver, but you don't get any exposure because you're on that offense, now you can show how good of a wide receiver you are. But there's also guys that are other positions. Running backs, for example, as they point, pointed out here, you might be a mediocre running back that doesn't even go to college. And if you do go to college, you're kind of, you're going to a smaller school and you're not that good or whatever. But as a running back, you don't have the option of playing running back on seven on seven. And so two things. One, you get to practice wide receiver and get really good at wide receiver. And two, you get exposure as a wide receiver. There's no film of you playing wide receiver when you're a running back. And so if colleges are looking at you as a decent running back, and then you say, yeah, but check this out, watch me as a wide receiver, somebody might look at that and go, yeah, let's give him a shot. And so for a lot of reasons, more wide receivers are being discovered, either because they're just practicing more and they're honing their craft and they're getting better at it, or because guys who just wouldn't be wide receivers in any other capacity are becoming wide receivers and we're finding out they're very good. I mean, you, you see this occasionally with other positions where you'll have a, a tight end that's kind of okay, and they're like, let's try you at tackle, and they put on a bunch of weight, and suddenly they're a great tackle, or vice versa. I think even uh, one of the Watts, TJ or JJ, I'm not sure, I think came into Wisconsin as a tight end, and they're like, let's try you as a pass rusher, and obviously that worked out quite well. So occasionally those things will happen, but you're going to have a higher hit rate of, of that happening when everybody's becoming a wide receiver in the spring. And so again, naturally, you're going to have just a larger pool. So there's a massive amount of wide receivers. 
And because there's a bigger pool, there's a higher likelihood of there being really good, ready to play wide receivers, not even factoring in the part where they've had a massive amount more um, practice just based on pool size. But then you add in practice. A lot of these guys who played wide receiver, learned from high school wide receivers, then go in the spring and play more wide receiver. The guys that had to convert, they're coming into college as wide receivers, having played in the spring leagues as wide receivers over and over and over again. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Continuing on. Colleges across the nation. So high school receivers are both more numerous and more talented than ever before, which helps colleges both in recruiting them and in immediately using them on the field. All that trickles up. The talent pool in college for the NFL to select from becomes wider and deeper. And naturally, as more athletes are funneled into the wide receiver position, the variety of athletes at that position increases as well. In the mock draftable database, which goes back to the 1999 draft, there are 12 receivers under five foot eight. All but one of them entered the draft in 2010 or later. Three of the 12 in the last two years alone. 19 receivers are 170 pounds or lighter. Six of them belong to the last four draft classes. Players with these body types traditionally played cornerback or were gadget players who returned kicks and lined up in the backfield. Suddenly, they're popping up with Heisman trophies. They're first round picks. They have a thousand yard seasons coming out of college. But wide receiver- they're showing pictures of guys like Hollywood Brown and Christian Kirk and whatnot, right? These are first round picks, super hyped up. And, you know, we, we, we talk about in this draft class is is a major one, you know, where we talk about their size might be an issue, but uh, there's still plenty of hype. And usually there's like one of those guys in this class. Everybody's 180, 185, right? With the exception of Drake London, Traylon Burks or whatever. But there's just a lot of them. And so it's becoming much more prevalent. And, and you're seeing the NFL start to look at these guys as this is sort of a normal body type these days, and it wasn't as big of an issue. Receiver isn't just for the smalls. Let's take the 2019 wide receiver class as an example. The first round was weirdly quiet. 
all 166 pounds of Marquise Brown went in the first round, as did Arizona State's Nikhil Harry, a player with a more prototypical build of 6'2", 228 pounds. Then in the second round went Debo Samuel, a 215-pounder at 5'11". That build is more typical of a safety or a running back. Then there's A.J. Brown, another shorter, denser receiver who in the past may have played in other positions, 6'225 pounds. Michael Hardman, a high school quarterback and cornerback, became a wide receiver at Georgia and was drafted with little receiver experience or skills. Then there was J.J. Arthigo-Whiteside, big and tall, Paris Campbell, cornerback build, blazing speed, Andy Isabella, even smaller, even faster, and to top it all off, D.K. Metcalf, who was the most unique blend of huge and fast the receiver position has really ever seen. The diversity of body types here is wild, and that makes the diversity in usage even more interesting. So that's that's now the, the next part of this. Now that we have prototypical wide receivers, but then you've also got really small guys that, again, were more like gadget out of the backfield, third down back types. You've got, but also then the Debo Samuels, the Traylon Burkses, these guys. So we've got safeties, we've got corners, we've got third down backs, we've got straight up running backs that are becoming wide receivers. You've got the NFL adapting to these types of wide receivers and, and finding usages for them. And because of that additional creativity, again, people are able to come into the NFL and succeed. Debo Samuel is not just a wide receiver. There, there's, there's a specific usage for guys like that. And so again, now that we can have defined roles, it really just relates to their ability to succeed in year one, which is really what the main question is, right? We're talking about Christian Watson. What are the odds that he succeeds as a rookie? We're still talking about that. Or Romeo Dobbs or Samore Toure. What are the odds? We, we tend to think, and again, my mind goes to it's unlikely. It's very unlikely. First year guys don't do a ton. Da, 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 da. Yeah, but Christian Watson could be wide receiver one. What does that translate to? Yeah, but it's a different era these days. It is even for the Packers who, who don't get massively involved in overpaying. That doesn't mean they're not wide receiver focused. There's a difference between not caring about wide receivers and, not, and trying not to be irresponsible. They could be just as wide receiver obsessed as anybody else, but still just trying to be responsible fiscally, if you will. We really want wide receivers, but we really don't want to overpay. We don't want to overdraft because in the, at the end of the day, that makes us a weaker team. And so the larger point here is if, if you have two ways of, of gauging the wide receiver success of the guys that we drafted, and one way is looking at historical data from the Green Bay Packers, and the other is looking at more recent data of the last two draft classes, you're, you're going to have two very different pictures. Number one is probably temper your expectations, four or 500 yards, maybe at best. The other is they could have great seasons. I think you're better off picking the more recent data because it is a different era. Last year, Metcalf spent 80% of his snaps lined up outside and had a depth of target of 13.1. Marquise Brown spent about 69% of his snaps outside and had a depth of target of 12.0. Those two have wildly different body types, but extremely similar roles as big play vertical threats. Now take Miko Hardman, who has a similar build to Brown, but spent 50% of his snaps in the slot with an average depth of target of 7.4. That's the 14th lowest in the league. And of course you have Debo Samuel, the shining example of weird receiver usage. He lined up in the backfield on 10% of his snaps, grabbed an average depth of target of 8.6, and led the league in yak per reception. Second to Samuel in yak per reception, Miko Hardman. So it's not just that as players with different body types play receiver, new roles are created. It's that all these body types can play all these different roles. 
with illegal contact rules, the advent of spread offenses in the NFL, and an increasing premium on explosive plays, offenses have never spent more time asking and answering the question, how do we get the ball to our best athletes? And those best athletes play receiver. So with a ton of new athletes, a ton of investment in the passing game from other avenues, like the rule changes, playmaking quarterbacks, and just a ton of passing attempts altogether, the perfect storm has brewed for some wickedly productive rookie receivers. Only three receivers ever have cleared the 1,400-yard mark in their rookie season. Two of those receivers are Justin Jefferson, who did it in 2020, and Jamar Chase, who just did it in 2021. They, along with A.J. Brown in 2019 and Jalen Waddell in 2021, are the four rookie receivers to clear the 1,000-yard mark in the last three seasons. Before Brown, the last rookie to do it was Michael Thomas back in 2016. But remember, the value isn't in the top of the classes, it's in the depth and the variety. We filter for day two picks, we're going to see similar things. 11 receivers ever selected between rounds two and three have cleared 2,000 yards in their first two seasons. Three of them were selected in the last three drafts, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Terry McLaurin. T. Higgins literally missed this cutoff by one yard. Metcalf, Brown, and McLaurin, they seem like future star receivers. So we might see them on this list and say, yeah, the league should have drafted them earlier. They slid. And there's some truth to that. But there's another truth to the productivity of these young receivers. They got really good, really quick, because of the volume offered to them early on in their careers. Take Michael Thomas, second only to Josh Gordon, a second round supplemental draft pick, on the early career receiver list for day two picks. Thomas never had more than 800 yards in a college season, but he landed in a thin receiver room and filled the vacuum available in the short game. Are you uh, starting to get excited yet? <laughs> what, what are we talking about here? We're talking about wide receivers who are NFL ready, who are coming into a league that is built for passing, um, not just because of scheme, but because of the rules and everything else. Um, it, it is primed to succeed through the air, which is probably a big part of the reason why, um, you know, wide receivers are so desired, not only because they're plentiful, but because they're important and because the NFL has set it up so that these guys, it's, they're, they're making it hard for wide receivers to fail. Beyond that, though, he's going on to talk about the these guys succeeding because they're coming into passing offenses that are not already stacked with talent. For Drew Brees' depreciating arm, Juju Smith-Schuster, third on the list, did much the same for Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. They were talented players, of course, but it wasn't so much about the talent as it was about the sheer volume available. Both are possession receivers who turned that high volume into consistent, if not explosive, production. Darius Slayton, a fifth-round pick who grabbed a field-stretching role on a sleepy Giants offense with fellow rookie Daniel Jones, had 1,491 receiving yards in his first two seasons. So, again, I want to pause here. What, what do we talk about with Christian Watson? It's about finding creative ways to get the ball in his hand because he can do the rest. That's literally all he's been talking about. We've got Aaron Rodgers... We've got a need to fill. He's got 4,500 yards to distribute, and we got to figure out how to get those 4,500 yards to these guys, right? And so in the right offense, with the right system, and a as long as you've got a need and a creative enough offense to get the ball in their hand, we've seen that in recent years, these wide receivers have massively succeeded. But now we're even talking about fourth and fifth round guys in field stretching positions. Isn't that exactly about the guys we're talking about? Dobbs and Torre? guys that have that vertical ability. I don't know who it's going to be or how many it's going to be, but everything he's talking about feels like he's talking about the Green Bay Packers. 
Slayton doesn't even feel like a particularly talented or dangerous player in a league sense. But fifth round receivers are readier than ever to produce right now in the modern NFL. Jobs. Just ask Darnell Mooney or Stefan Diggs, two more speedsters with over 1,600 receiving yards in their first two seasons as day three picks. Our top 10 on the all-time list. Passing is up. Everybody knows it. And if we were dealing with the same crop of receiver classes as we were 20 years ago, the same size, same level of college experience, then we might struggle to identify top talent and to onboard these young guys early. But as that investment in the passing game has trickled down into the college ranks and the clever designs of the college game have trickled up, it's become easier for college receivers to translate to the NFL, both because they're better and because there's just so many more of them. You swing a dead cat nowadays, you'll hit a good receiver prospect. So there will never be a bad receiver class again. And that includes this class. I can't tell you exactly who will be the star between the first round receivers or which day two and day three picks will break out. But there will almost certainly be some. Wide receiver, just too big to fail. All right. So again, I, we, we might as well just go through the whole thing because you kind of need to hear all the bits and pieces of it. But I think the last part is the important part because it's not true that everybody is going to break out and therefore we know that our guys are going to be good. There's no way of knowing who are going to be the really good wide receivers. But as he said, there's almost no doubt that one or two or three of these guys are going to be quite good. That's not necessarily saying Justin Jefferson good. That's not necessarily saying um, elite rookie seasons, 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns, whatever. But I think what you are seeing more of, and and again, I tried to go back and and prove this wasn't true and had a hard time with it because of how many guys were quite good. And that's not just a statistical thing. We're also talking about grades. And that's where the pro-ready comes in. Even if you're not overly productive because you're number three on the depth chart or whatever and you don't get a ton of yards, you don't get a ton of touchdowns, the grades are still there. These guys come in and they're good at football. There were nine wide receivers with 70 or higher overall grades from last year. Nine. Rondale Moore, Frank Darby, which again, didn't play very much, but all different types, Elijah Moore, Kadarius Toney, Devontae Smith, Demetric Felton, Jalen Waddell, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Jamar Chase. And, and, and that's the thing. A lot of people are going to look at it and say, yeah, but these are the first round picks. We've got a second round pick and then a mid round pick and a seventh round pick. You know, when you look at, at, at Dobbs, and again, we don't know who, but if you look at Dobbs, it's one of those guys that was a fourth round pick. And people are saying, this guy's so talented, I don't know how he made it to the fourth round. Amon Ross St. Brown was one of the most impressive guys. In fact, if you look at probably week 13 on, I bet he was the number one wide receiver in football. This guy clicked probably around week eight. And starting in week 15, he really broke out. And then his final three games, 80.5 overall grade, 88.4 overall grade. And then then against the Packers, 90.6. The guy's arrow just went straight up. He got better from week 12 through week 18 every single week got better now i don't know what he's going to be going forward but this is a again it's a fourth round pick that a lot of guys liked a lot of people said he's a good wide receiver but he's got a couple issues here there or whatever but um he's a guy that fell i know for a while i don't remember exactly where well let's find out because i know for a while there was talk about him being a second round pick but i don't know like on draft day where he ended up so let's take a look at 2021 here wide receiver so he was 63 overall. So he was ba- considered a back of the second round prospect that fell to round four. But the, again, this is just last year. We got nine guys. We've got Jamar Chase, who was a, a obviously very early guy, but the very next guy was a fourth round pick. Then Jalen Waddell, again, another first round guy. But then it's followed by Demetric Felton. 
Felton was a sixth round pick. Again, he didn't play a ton. It was only 181 yards and, and two touchdowns. And I'm sure if you look at the depth chart, he was buried. But the dude played really well. And a lot of it is just really, uh, really, really, a handful of really, really good games. Week two, which is his first week, he had a 98.7 overall grade. Two targets, two receptions, 51 yards and a touchdown. He had a few others. He had a 70, an 80, a, a 78, a 67, which isn't bad. But then against week, week nine against Cincinnati, he had a 90 overall grade. And then he had kind of had a bad stretch. But then week 18, which was the final week, 82 overall grade. And, and again, it's not a ton of targets. It's not a lot, but he certainly has a role. And, and again, we're talking about a unique body type. It's another guy where I think the NFL is just having a hard time figuring out what to do with some of these guys at 5'10", a little bit smaller than you like, probably got some speed, but not quite the right size. And so they fall down the draft. But again, you can find ways to use these guys. And when you do, it is wildly successful. So again, just looking at the, at, at the top four of the nine players that came into the league, really. And, and by the way, I looked at defensive tackle, and I think it's over the last three years we've not had one defensive tackle that's panned out. Something to that effect. But yet wide receiver, nine that are rookies this past year. After him, you've got Devonta Smith, who is a first-round pick. After him, you have Kadarius Toney, who is a late first-round pick. That's followed by Elijah Moore, who is a second-round pick, pick 34, right about where Christian Watson was taken, or exactly where he was taken, I think. Again, didn't play a ton. He missed a couple weeks. I don't know if it was injury or if he was just out, but you've got 5'9", 185. Why did he fall? His size. And he got off to a slow start. His first few weeks, 49, 67, 62, 47, 47. But he followed that up the final few weeks, 76, 63, 91, 66, 67. So kind of hovering in that good to, you know, high mediocre to good range with a couple really good games in there. In fact, if you look at his volume, it's really high. I mean, pretty much every time he was out there, he's getting a minimum of six targets. But when his grades started going higher, eight targets, seven receptions, 84 yards and two touchdowns. He had a touchdown in almost every game starting in week nine, with the exception of week 12. Uh, Five targets, three receptions and a touchdown, nine targets, eight receptions, 141 yards and a touchdown against Miami. That was his 92 overall grade. And again, remember, this is you can you can look at the down games and all that stuff. This is a rookie. He's 5'9", 185. He's too small to play wide receiver. He was a second round pick out of Mississippi. He's brand new to the NFL. He doesn't know the playbook. He's on a garbage team with a brand new quarterback that doesn't know how to play football in an offense that has a brand new staff. Everything's brand new. Nobody knows what they're doing, but they plug him in there. They find a way to use a 5'9", 185 pound guy with a quarterback that doesn't know how to play in a brand new coaching staff. And they still find a way to get this guy nine targets, eight receptions, 141 yards and a touchdown against the Dolphins, who had a very good defense. After him was Frank Darby. This is probably too small of a sample size, but still, he went out there in a very limited capacity. He did very well. He was a sixth-round pick. Follow that up by Rondale Moore, another second-round pick, pick 49. He had a 70 overall grade. Ended the season with 70 targets, 15, uh, 59 receptions, 467 yards, and a touchdown. Again, it's not necessarily volume, and Arizona especially likes to spread the ball around. They've got a ton of established wide receivers and everything else, but still looking at quality, 70 overall grade. And that's just this year. And, and, and that doesn't even include the guys who had average grades. Amari Rogers, by the way, 60.6 overall grade. I know nobody's ready to hear that because how dare you, the guy was trash. He wasn't. He was average. Shai Smith, 61 overall grade. Michael Strachan, uh, 61 overall grade. Josh Palmer, 62. Des Fitzpatrick, 64. Nico Collins, 65. Um, it's sorted by receiving grades, so this is going to go down a little bit. But Rashad Bateman, 65. And Amir Smith-Marset, 65. That's not bad. I mean, there were plenty of bad receivers. Deami Brown, 50. I mean, 
to be completely honest, if we sort by this, only two wide receivers were in the 40s. Again, this is out of 29 receivers, only two of them, and and the lowest grade was a 48. I mean, I I know that's not good, but you would expect at least 130, 120, 113 overall grade, something. Um, That's it. Daz Newsome out of Chicago, 48 overall grade. Racy McMath had a 48 overall grade out of Tennessee. Otherwise, you're in the 50s, which is, you know, it's below average. But um, nothing devastating, again, especially for a rookie. Similarly, in 2020, obviously, Justin Jefferson is the guy, and he was a first-round pick. But you also had Brandon Ayuk, who was a late first-round pick, who had an 80 overall grade in his first year. And I mean, if we're kind of rounding up and call, let's say 68 is basically good, you got 16 wide receivers. If, if we're calling it a hard 70, it's still 10. That's one more than last year. Guys that are hard 70s, and some of these guys, again, uh, limited sample size, but DeMichael Harris out of Indy, undrafted free agent. LaVisca Chenault, second round pick, 42nd overall. C.D. Lamb, first round pick. He had a 71 overall grade. Colin Johnson, fifth round pick. He had a 73 overall grade. Fifth round pick. Chase Claypool, second round pick with a 75 overall grade. T. Higgins, second round pick, pick 33. Again, right around that range that we picked our guy. 76 overall grade. Tyree Cleveland, seventh round pick, 76 overall grade. Again, very small sample size, and he played, he had one target in 2021, so things didn't really pan out. But again, he played a little bit, and he was very good when he played. Um... Isaiah Zuber was an undrafted free agent with a 76 overall grade. Then you got guys who were very close to having a 70 overall grade. So that was 10 that were at 70 or higher. Then you got Van Jefferson, second round pick, 69.8 overall grade. You've got Brian Edwards, who uh, was a third round pick, 69 overall grade. You've got Denzel Mims, who had a 69 overall grade, um, second round pick, pick 59. You got Lynn Bowden, in 2020 with a 68.8 overall grade third round pick. You got Darnell Mooney, who we know uh, kind of had his big breakout last year, but was solid as a rookie as well, fifth round pick. And then you got Marquez Callaway, who was an undrafted free agent, 68 overall grade um, in his rookie year. He's continued that last year. Again, his, his snaps have gone up. And that's another situation where you've got a team that is really depleted at the wide receiver position. Marquez Callaway, undrafted free agent, six foot two, 204, prototypical size, 68 overall grade, 24 targets, 21 receptions, 213 yards. The next year, which was last year, 81 targets, 46 receptions, 700 yards, and six touchdowns as an undrafted free agent. And that's not the full list of guys that did well. That's just 68 and above. You got... Donovan Peoples-Jones at 67. You got Gabriel Davis at 66. Jerry Judy at 65. Quintez Cephas at 65. Nick Westbrook at 64. Jalen Rager at 64. Michael Pittman at 63. Lawrence Kager at 63. Austin Mack at 63. James Proach at 61. Quez Watkins at 61.1. Devin Duvernay at 60. That's 28 of 41 wide receivers that are 60 and above. And again, how many guys were below a 50? One. Out of 41, one, and his grade was a 44.6, it was Antonio Gandy-Golden out of Washington. And in year two, he wasn't much better, but he did cross that threshold, 52.6 overall grade. So it's not just the amount, so we, we get real fixated on the guys like Justin Jefferson and say it's unlikely that they have that, but so what? You don't have to be Justin Jefferson. Of, look at it from the other perspective. Of the three guys we got, what is the likelihood that none of them crack this this sort of 68 to 90 range 
Again, we're talking about 16 out of 40. One of the Packers is probably going to be in that range, and even the ones that aren't, there's some productive guys here. Gabriel Davis only had a 66 overall grade, but he had 684 yards and seven touchdowns. Jerry Judy only had a 65 overall grade, but he had 856 yards and three touchdowns as a rookie. Um, Quintez Cephas, 350 and two touchdowns. Jalen Rager, 400 and a touchdown. Michael Pittman, 600 and a touchdown. Um, you can go all the way down here to K.J. Hamler with a 55 overall grade. Still had 381 yards and three touchdowns. Um, Henry Ruggs, one of the worst graded wide receivers, 452 yards and two touchdowns with a 54 overall grade. So you've got the grade, which says even if they're not productive, they're talented. But then you've got guys that aren't that talented that are still getting the production, which is fine with me. If you're not a very good wide receiver, but you still pull in 600 yards and four touchdowns, I'll forgive you. You know, and then, then again, on the flip side, Brian Edwards, 70 overall grade, but only 193 yards and a touchdown. But he's still a good wide receiver, and that's something to be excited about. And 2019 was a little less so. Um, it didn't quite have the flavor of the last couple, but still decent. Out of uh, 39 wide receivers, you had three that were under 50. Oh, that was the other, I didn't finish my thought. It's not just the top end, and it's not just the amount of guys that are good. It's how few of them are just garbage. Even this class, which is worse, and again, 50 is not great, it's below average, but how many guys are below a 50? Only three. So what was it, three, four, five, like six total in three years that have been a below a 50 in three years? Staggering. Um, but out of 39 wide receivers, you've got nine, again, nine, 70 and above, like a hard 70. If we're rounding up, call it 65, 16, or 65 and above. But number one wide receiver was actually Ventrell Bryant. Didn't play a ton, but 86 overall grade. Terry McLaurin, 80, basically an 86. Which again, he's a freaking rookie. When we look at it and it's like, oh yeah, that's pretty good. It's not just good, it's, it's staggering. That a rookie comes in and is like one of the top wide receivers in football. And it's happened every year for three years. 85.7 overall grade as a third round pick, pick 76. And I think Terry McLaurin is one of those where a lot of people are like, yeah, well, everybody should have seen that. He shouldn't have fallen. I agree. But that's how many guys we've talked about now. And by the way, how many times have we heard that about guys like Romeo Dobbs? And if you listen to the PFF podcast, which was talked about a lot on the, on the podcast or on the, uh, the YouTube video yesterday, they had glowing reviews of the Packers draft. And one of the things they said is every one of our seventh round picks is incredible and shouldn't have been a seventh round pick. And Samori Turi is one of those guys, and I think they even went so far as to say they don't know that he's not better than Romeo Dobbs is. But then you've got A.J. Brown. He was a second-round pick, ended the season as a rookie with an 81.8 overall grade. And by the way, that was his worst year as a rookie. He's, he's blown up since then, as I'm sure you're well aware. But he was a mid-second-round pick, mid-second round. He's one of the premier receivers in the NFL. Debo Samuel, very similar story, Right. Second round pick, pick 36, very close to where we picked our guy. Um, 77 overall grade, which became a 80 overall grade, which is now a 90 overall grade. Other guys, Hunter Renfro, freaking 5'10", 184-pound white dude, drafted in the fifth round. 75 overall grade. His next year, 75. His next year, 79. He's great. He's a great wide receiver. Fifth round pick. He doesn't have good size. He doesn't have good weight. There's nothing about the guy other than, I mean, he's, you know, we look at him, he's like, well, he's good, but I mean, come on. He doesn't hit any of the criteria. He's a good wide receiver. Fifth round pick. DK Metcalf, second round pick. Another guy, well, he should have never fallen that far. Everyone should have known. Fine, but there was still plenty of reservations about, you know, his limited 
you know, is it just size and speed? I mean, can he do anything other than go routes or whatever? He fell all the way to 64. He's a great wide receiver. 73 overall grade, that became an 82, which became an 81. He's solid just every year. But even his rookie year, which was his worst year, still a 73. 1,119 yards and eight touchdowns as a rookie. He followed that up with 1,400 yards and 12 touchdowns. Hollywood Brown, who was mentioned in the video, complete opposite. Five foot nine, 170 pounds was a first round pick, but end of the first round. I mean, he's not been elite elite, but he had a 72 overall grade, 73 basically as a rookie, and has pretty much maintained that. And he had 710 yards and seven touchdowns as a rookie. And his production has gone straight up, 965 and eight touchdowns. This past year with Baltimore, over he cracked 1,000 yards for the first time, 1,008 yards and six touchdowns. We're not done. Olamide Zacchaeus, undrafted free agent, didn't play a ton, but 5'8", 190 yards, undrafted free agent, 70, basically a 72 overall grade. Now, he didn't play a ton, but he got more snaps the next year, still had a 68 overall grade. So again, it's not one of those things where, yeah, it's a limited sample size, but see what happens when he actually plays. He did. He played in 2020, 68 overall grade. 2021, it went down a little bit further, but still a 63 overall grade, and he had 406 yards and three touchdowns. As Atlanta loses all their receivers, you're seeing a guy, a guy that's 5'8", 190 undrafted free agent that's still able to contribute. If this dude can give you a 65 overall grade, 400 yards and three touchdowns, why can't Samore Ture? Why can't Romeo Dobbs? I'm not asking for much. We've got guys that can play. Alan Lazard can play. Randall Cobb has a role. What about Amari taking a step? What about Christian? What about Dobbs? What about Toure? What about these guys? And not including the tight ends, not including the running backs. What can they give me? Can I get 600 yards? Seven touchdowns? Five touchdowns? Four touchdowns? From another guy, can I get 450 and three touchdowns? If, if, if you guys can give me that, we're fine. Not done, by the way. Darius Slayton, 6'1", 190. Fifth round pick, 70.3 overall grade. Fifth round pick. Nicole Hardman, second round pick, 56 overall, 68.1 overall grade. And that's just the hard 70s. Actually, it's not Nicole wasn't, but um, Don, uh, Deontay Hardy, 68 overall grade. Deontay Johnson, 68. Preston Williams out of Miami was a 68. We're talking about undrafted free, free agent Deontay Hardy, third round pick Deontay Johnson, and undrafted free agent Preston Williams. And, and yes, he did play a decent amount. Undrafted free agent 6'4", 210, uh, 59 targets, 32 receptions, 428 yards and three touchdowns as an undrafted free agent rookie. Finally, you've got undrafted free agent Michael Walk, uh, Walker, 67 overall grade. You've got uh, John Ursua, seventh round pick with a 66 overall grade. And then Nikhil Harry, who obviously has struggled as a first-round pick, but still 65 overall grade as a 30-second selection. Other guys still in the 60s, Jacoby Myers, Andy Isabella, Kelvin Harmon, Riley Ridley, uh, Olabisi Johnson, Stephen Sims, Scotty Miller, Jeff, uh, Jeff Smith is pretty close. And, and, you know, a lot of these guys, we know they became pretty decent wide receivers too. The only guys that did not make it into the uh, 50 club, you've got Travis Fulgham, who had a 49 overall grade with Detroit, three targets, zero receptions, 49 overall grade. You know what happened? He got shipped off to Philadelphia. With Philadelphia, he had 64 targets, 38 receptions, 539 yards, four touchdowns, 71 overall grade. I can't even point out to you bad receivers. He ended up getting shipped off to Denver for whatever reason, didn't get utilized there either, but he had a really good year with Philly when he was there. This is a sixth round pick. 
Stanley Morgan, undrafted free agent, 6'1", 210. One of the, again, only three guys had a bad rookie, really bad rookie year. He was one of them. The next year was Cincinnati, 63 overall grade. Didn't do very much. He's not going to be much in the NFL, but again, still. And then finally, Darius Shepard, who in 2019 had a 44 overall grade. And then in 2020, eight targets, five receptions, 46 yards, 52 overall grade. Still not great, but he crossed the 40 threshold. And as everybody fully understands, he's a special teamer was a special teamer. So basically, worst of the worst over three years, the worst possible situation of any anybody that can come into the NFL for us is Darius Shepard. Oh, what a travesty that would be. So um, again, it, it doesn't automatically mean that these guys are going to be great, but it, it it does give you a little bit more, it should give you a little bit more optimism specifically about wide receivers because of the way the NFL is, because of the the pipeline and all that stuff. There's a reason to believe that these guys have the ability to succeed. And again, given the environment, given that Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, given that Matt LaFleur is the head coach, given the fact that Devontae is gone, there is every reason for these guys to be able to thrive. And whether it's one of them, two of them, or all three of them, or maybe maybe it's an undrafted free agent that pops up. The point is the odds that none of these guys end up popping up and thriving is very unlikely. And we're just talking about year one. I'm not talking about their ability to produce in years two and years three and what happens down the line. I'm talking about what are the odds they break out as a rookie? Because again, this has been the whole theme of today is the conflicting feelings in my brain. On one hand, looking at the picture and saying, this guy's going to be so good. And on the other hand, saying, you need to relax. There's no way that they're all going to be that good. My excitement level for Quay Walker, having heard some of the reports coming out of this rookie mini camp, which again, I understand you got shorts and helmet and all that stuff, but still. He doesn't belong with that group. He belongs with the starters. Devontae Wyatt, heads and tails above everybody else that's there. The the speed, the strength, the twitch. Matt LaFleur, just watching him stand next to some of these other guys is like, this guy is, he's different. Christian Watson, from what I've seen, I mean, if, if you're not sold on Christian Watson, go back and watch the Senior Bowl. You can find some of that stuff on YouTube. And it, it's it's obvious because he was the, uh, what was he, player of the, the of the Senior Bowl. He won some award. I don't know if it was the wide receiver specific or just player of the whole thing. I don't know. But um, Khalil Shakir was was probably my prototypical favorite because he's the guy that was able to run away from everybody. Real crisp route running. But if you're looking for that guy who just feels like he belongs, he feels like, you know, with his size and his physicality and his presence on top of the speed and, and the route running, which are fine, it's Christian Watson by a mile, which is great because, again, the Senior Bowl is when you go up against better competition. But he is just a bully on the football field. And, you know, you're probably, unless you can find days two or, or I, don't know, I don't know how many days it were, if there was just two or what, but unless you can find one of the later days for Romeo Dobbs, you're probably not going to be as as great because I don't think he had a very good day one. I was not super excited about what he did, and even the coaches alluded to that. But whatever. Point is, it's a little bit of ammunition to give yourself permission to be excited. That's all it is. And yeah, you can look at it from the other perspective. The odds that some of these guys are not going to be good is also high. That at least one, if not two of these guys are probably going to struggle, uh, if not flat out fail. And that's assuming they even make the team. I mean, for all we know, Samuri Ture ends up on the practice squad. That was one of the questions that was brought up last night is where does he fit just from a number standpoint? Because we have so many wide receivers already on the team. What do you do with all of these guys? He may just out of necessity, unless he completely has a dominant year, ends up on the practice squad. I don't know. But it, it, it is, there is every reason to believe that these guys have a perfect environment to thrive. So anyways, I guess I'll end it there. We didn't take an official break, so I do want to take a minute to say thank you very much to Oscar uh, Cardona. I don't think I've thanked him yet. $150 donation 
to uh, the SIS fund. And then Drew Domelik dropped in another $10. So we are at nearly $1,000 of this. Uh, I think today I'm going to find out if they still have that uh, coupon or whatever. I don't think they do, but if they do, I'm just I'm buying it today. And then as far as Patreon, again, I'm not sure who I've thanked and who I haven't, but thank you to Brenton for jumping on, and thank you to Michael Adams for upping your pledge. I appreciate that. But uh, anyways, you guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>